Self-Development and the Way to Power is the book I chose today by L.W. Rogers. Thank you all for joining me at the Only You Podcast. We may either be suffering slaves of nature or the happy masters of her laws. John John stood six foot, his blonde mustache perfectly curved around his upper lip. He had gold curls that every girl adored as he walked by. He had blue eyes that sometimes would become enraged very quickly. He was with my Aunt Diane at the time, and she had long, beautiful, brunette, curly hair that went all the way to her femurs. She had beautiful hazel eyes and artist fingers. She was kind, sweet, and many, many suitors were after my Aunt Diane at that time. My Aunt Diane was with John John only a year or so, but one night he took her out partying in our small town. My Aunt Diane never came home that night. She didn't come home the next morning either. I can remember my grandmother at the kitchen table with curlers in her hair, a cup of coffee, and nothing but worry in her eyes. Finally, the phone rang. It was a rotary dial. My grandmother got up from the kitchen table, went to the phone, and I could hear someone sounding very professional and kind on the other end of the line. was not sure what they were saying, but... My grandmother told me that she had to leave and that I should go in the other room with my mom. So I did. A little while later, I heard the back door open. I seen my Aunt Diane walk in, and she was completely disfigured. Her whole entire face was black and blue. Her neck, her ears her fingers. Every inch of her body I could see was black and blue, her eyes swollen shut, her nose smashed against her face with blood still at the edges of her nostrils. She showered, came out of the shower into the living room in just her bra and shorts and her whole entire body was black and blue, including her toes. The night before, John John had beaten my aunt within an inch of her life. She felt like she was in love with him and his blonde curls and his blue eyes and his sweet, sweet lies. She trusted him. And then, overnight, he turned out to be the worst person she had ever met. I can remember a summer, sunny day, 
John John took my cousin and I and my Aunt Diane to his parents' house where they had a large above-ground swimming pool. And in those days, people that had above-ground swimming pools were considered rich. My cousin and I were swimming, and I remember seeing the blue rage in his eyes for the first time, and I was terrified of him. He grabbed my cousin by the ears and picked him up chest high and threw him into the pool as he was screaming in midair. He landed next to me with a loud splash. I remember when he came up out of the pool, how his brown eyes looked of complete terror. Two years after John John had done this to my aunt and my cousin, he moved to Florida where he was walking down the road one day minding his own business, I'm sure. A semi-driver was not paying attention and jumped the curb and ran John John over. He died instantly. That story I wanted to share with you because I held on to this memory all my life, and it correlates with this book called Self-Development and the Way to Power by L.W. Rogers. This was part of my self-development and my way to power of controlling my ego, my inner person. I based situations in my life around those events of when to fight and when not to fight. It is the nature, excuse me, it is the natural right of every human being to be happy, to escape all the miseries of life. Happiness is the normal condition, as natural as the landscapes and the seasons. It is unnatural to suffer, and it is only because of our ignorance that we do suffer. Happiness is the product of wisdom. To attain perfect wisdom, to comprehend fully the purpose of life, to realize completely the relationship of human beings to each other is to put an end to all the suffering, to escape every ill and evil that afflicts us. Perfect wisdom is unshadowed joy. Why do we suffer in life? Because in the scheme of nature, we are all being forced forward in evolution, and we lack the spiritual illumination that alone can light the way and enable us to move safely among the obstacles that lie before us. Usually, we do not even see our suspect, the presence of trouble until it suddenly leaps upon us like a concealed tiger. One day, our family circle is complete and happy. A week later, death has come and gone, and joy replaced with agony. Today, we have a friend. Tomorrow, he will be an enemy, and we do not know why. A little while ago, we had wealth and material luxuries. There was a sudden change, and now 
We have only poverty and misery, and yet we seek in vain for a reason why this should be. There was a time when we had healthy and strengthened relationships, but they have both departed, and no trace of a reason appears. Aside from these greater tragedies of life, innumerable things of lesser consequence continually bring to us little miseries and minor heartaches. We mostly earnestly desire to avoid them, but we never see them until they strike us. Until in the darkest of our arrogance, excuse me, of our ignorance, we blunder upon them. The thing we lack is the spiritual illumination that will enable us to look far and wide, finding the hidden causes of human suffering and reveal the method by which they may be avoided. And if we can but reach illumination of evolutionary journey, can be made both comfortably and swiftly. It is as though we must pass through a long dark room filled with furniture promiscuously scattered about. In the dark, our progress would be slow and painful, and our bruises many. But if we could press a button that would turn on the electric light, we could then make the same journey quickly and with perfect safety and comfort. This book is Self-Development and the Way to Power by L. W. Rogers. Lewis William Rogers was born in the state of Iowa in the Midwest on May 28, 1859. Trained as a teacher, Rogers taught in the public schools of Iowa and Kansas for a period of five years, beginning late in the 1870s. Rogers later went on to work as a brakeman, a crew member of the locomotive train who helped regulate the speed through the manual application of brakes. He worked across a number of Midwestern railroads, including the Kansas City, Springfield, and Memphis, the Wabash and Western, the Santa Fe, and the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy. Rogers was fired from his position on the latter road during the Burlington Railroad strikes in 1888 when he supported the locomotive engineers striking the road. And I wanted to include this on today's podcast because we've had so many train wrecks here in recent times. I thought it was a great read and it would help maybe develop uh, your power and and be aware of your own self-development. Following his dismissal, Rogers toured the Burlington route engaging in public speeches on behalf of the strikers traveling from Illinois all the way to Colorado on his mission, leaving the actual railway work after his dismissal from the Burlington, Quincy, and Chicago. Rogers launched his first newspaper, The Railroad Patriot, in St. Joseph, Missouri. Is that not wild? St. Joseph is where um, Jesse James was shot and killed by Bob Ford. The paper proved to be short-lived, terminating publication 
the following year. With his newspaper having folded in 1889, Rogers moved to the state of Colorado, where he first became active in the Brotherhood of Railroad Brakemen, known from 1890 as the Brotherhood of Railroad Trainmen. He edited the two short-lived newspapers in Colorado, the Denver Patriot and the Vona Herald, as the 1880s closed. Everything I've read about L.W. Rogers was really great. And it talked a lot about his son, Grayson, on all the sites that I had read about him in. He did a lot of great things in his lifetime. Thank you guys for listening. Today I'm doing Self-Development and the Way to Power by L.W. Rogers. The oldest method of education was to store the mind with as many facts or supposed facts as could be accumulated and to give a certain exterior polish to the personality. The theory was that when a man was born he was a completed human being and that All that could be done for him was to load him up with information that would be used with more or less skill according to the naive ability he happened to be born with. The theosophical idea is that the physical man and all that constitutes his life in the physical world is but a very partial expression of the self. That in the ego of each there is practically unlimited power and wisdom. That these may be brought through into expression in the physical world as the physical body and its invisible counterparts which together constitute the complex vehicle of the ego's manifestation are evolved and adapted to the purpose and that in exact proportion that conscious effort is given to such self-development will spiritually illumination be achieved and wisdom obtained. Thus, the light that leads to happiness is kindled from within and the evolutionary journey that all are making may be robbed of its suffering. Why does death bring misery? chiefly because it separates us from those we love. But when we evolve the faculty of clairvoyance in our work of self-development, the separation vanishes and our dead friends are as much with us as the living. The only reason why death brings grief or fear is because we do not understand it and comprehend the part it plays in human evolution. But the moment our ignorance gives way to comprehension, such fear vanishes, and a serene happiness takes place. Why do we have enemies from whose words or acts we suffer? Because our limited physical consciousness, we do not perceive the unity of all life and I emphasize this part. Realize that our wrong thinking and doing must react upon us through other people. A situation from which there is no possible escape except through ceasing to think evil and then patiently awaiting the time when 
the causes we have already generated are fully exhausted. Let that sink in. When spiritual illumination comes and we no longer stumble in the night of ignorance, the last enemy will disappear and we shall make no more forever. Why do people suffer from poverty and disease? Only because of our blundering ignorance that makes their existence possible for us and because we do not comprehend their meaning and their lessons, nor know the attitude to assume towards them. Had we but the wisdom to understand why they come to people, why they are necessary factors in their evolution, they would trouble us no longer. When nature's lesson is fully learned, these mute teachers will vanish. And so it is with all forms of suffering we experience. They are at once reactions from our ignorant blunderings and instructors that point out the better way. When we have comprehended the lessons they teach, they no longer necessary and, excuse me, they are no longer necessary and disappear. Thus our evolution is going forward and has gone forward in the past. We know that the human race has passed through a long evolution during which it has acquired five senses by which knowledge is gained. Nobody who has given thought to the subject will make the mistake of supposing that this evolution is completed and the five senses are all we shall ever possess. In the long evolutionary journey, the next thing we shall do is develop the sixth sense. Some people have already done so, and all are approaching it. This dawning sense is called clairvoyance. Fair investigation will show that the clairvoyance possesses certain powers not common to the majority of people. This is merely the beginning of the development of the sixth sense, and probably the majority of clairvoyance. It goes no further than etheric and lower astral sight. In other words, they are able to raise the consciousness only to a grade of matter a little beyond the grasp of ordinary vision, while the properly developed trained clairvoyant raises his consciousness to full planes beyond. The higher the consciousness is raised, the further the horizon of knowledge extends, and the clairvoyant is able to hand down information that appears quite miraculous, but is perfectly natural. If a certain person were born blind and had never understood any more about eyesight than most people understand about clairvoyance, if this person could know how many doorways were in a large building only by groping along with his hands and thus acquiring the knowledge by touch, and another person w could see should glance along the block instead, oh, excuse me, and instantly tell the blind man the correct number that would be the blind man, to, and that would be to the blind man a miracle. Now, when a clairvoyant sees things at a distance where the physical eye cannot reach he really does nothing more remarkable. When we see a thing, we receive the vibrations caused by light. 
That gives the information. When the clairvoyant sees at a distance through what we mistakenly call solid substances, he receives vibrations of matter so fine that it interprets solids as the ether does. And remember my other podcast, I explained to you, ether is like a type of energy that it comes from the atmosphere. It's the basis of all creation. So it's like light and the moon and the sun and stuff like that. Because light, without light and the nanometer spectrum, nothing in our whole world is able to sustain itself. The degree to which mind can control circumstances and dominate matter is far greater than is generally believed. Our impressions about matter are very illusionary. No form of matter is permanent. Change goes on everywhere at every instant by physical law in the physical body and by the astral and mental laws in our invisible bodies. And that goes on to say that you know, all the creations that are here now that we've seen technologically advanced in the last 50 years, those things have been here all along. So anything that you could dream up or you see in your mind could actually become a reality. And some of the great thinkers were mocked, where, you know, inventors as well, they were mocked and made fun of and thought, oh, that stuff will never take off or... But they seen it in real time, in the future. They could, you know, when you want something enough, the vibrations and frequencies change. This ain't in this book, you guys. I'm just sharing this with you from my own belief and my own opinions. And everything I say is just my own opinions. I'm not saying that I'm right about everything because I'm not. I hope that I'm right about some things and I change your thinking some way. But if I don't, hey, at least you get some good information along the way. What is the law of soul growth? Through adherence to what principle may we reach spiritual illumination? There are certain well-established facts about the laws of growth that we should not overlook when seeking the way forward. Nothing, whatever can grow without use, without activity, inaction causes atrophy. Physiologists say uh, to us that if the arm be tired to the body, excuse me, if the arm be tied to the body so that it cannot be used, it will in time become so unfeebled that it is of no further service. It will wither away. That is nature's law of economy. She never gives life where it is unless where it cannot or will not be utilized. On the other hand, exercise increases power. To increase the size and strength of muscles, we must use them. We must exercise them. This is just as true of mental and moral faculties as it is of the physical body. The only way to make the brain keen and powerful is to exercise it by original thinking. One way to gain soul powers is to give free play to the loftiest aspirations of which we are capable and to do it systematically instead of randomly. We grow to be like the things we think about. Now, the reverse of all this must be equally true.
to give no thought to higher things, to become completely absorbed in material affairs, is to strife the soul, to invite spiritual atrophy. Turning our attention to nature, we shall find in the parasite convincing proof of all this. The parasite, whether plant or animal, is living evidence that to refuse or neglect to use an organ or faculty results in being deprived of it. The daughter says Drummond has roots like other plants, but when it fixes sucker discs on the branches of neighboring plants and begins to get its food through them, its roots perish. When it fails to use them, it loses them. He also points to the hermit crab as an illusion of this great fact in nature, that disuse means loss, and that to shrink, sh excuse me, and that to sh shrink responsibility is the road to degeneration. The hermit crab was once equipped with a hard shell, and with as good means of locomotion as other crabs, but instead of courageously following the hardy life of other crustaceans, it formed the bad habit of taking up its residence in the cast-off shells of others. This made life easy and idolent, but it paid the price of all shirking. S-H-I-R-K-I-N-G, shirking. In time, it lost four legs while the shell over the vital portion of its body degenerated to a thin membrane which leaves it practically helpless when it is out of its captured home. And this is the certain result of all shirking of responsibility. There may be an apparent temporary gain, but always means greater loss, either immediate or remote. So nature punishes inaction with atrophy. Wherever is not used finally ceases to be. In plain language, apathy, inaction, idleness, uselessness is the road to degeneration. On the other hand, aspiration and activity mean growth, development, power. So we grow physically, mentally, and morally by activity, by exercise of the organs and the faculties we desire to possess. It is only by the constant exercise of these things that we can grow at all. When this great law of nature is understood, we see at once how it is that life is full of trouble. Why it is that the whole visible world seems to be designed to keep us constantly at work physically and mentally to challenge our resourcefulness and then provide, excuse me, in improving our physical, social, and political conditions to continually try our patience and to forever test our courage. It is the way of development. It is the price of progress. The universe is a training school for evolving intelligence, a vast gymnasium for the development of moral fiber. 
we become mentally clever by playing at the game of life. And you guys, at the game of life, sometimes we feel like we lose when we get to a point of depression or loss that someone pulls at the tiny threads of our heart and it just becomes undone instantly because we have been holding on to it for so long. We try our optimism against its disappointments and learn cheerfulness. We put our patience against its failures and gain persistence. We are torn from the pinnacle of ambition by opponents and learn toleration of others. We fall from the heights of vanity and pride and learn to be modest and humble. We encounter pain and sorrow and learn sympathy and suffering. It is only by such experiences that we can grow to rounded measure. It is only in an environment thus adapted to our spiritual development that we can evolve the latent powers within us, such as the universe in which we find ourselves, and from it there is no escape. No man can avoid life, not even the foolish one, who when the difficulties before him appear for the moment overwhelming, tries to escape them by suicide. A man cannot die. He can only choose how he will live. He may either hopelessly drift through the world, suffering from all the ills and evils that make so many unhappy, or he may choose the method of conscious evolution that alone makes life truly successful. We may be either the suffering slaves of nature or the happy masters of her laws. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. And I do want to say about suicide that the Christian Bible actually has a story where the devil whispers into Jesus' ear when he goes up on the mountain to be alone. He tells him to jump. And I remember when I heard that in a sermon, it stunned me because right there in words, God was telling me that even Jesus was tempted by the devil to commit suicide. And I found that wild, and I wanted to share that with you. So, but thank you for listening. I think this is a great read, and I think that you're going to get a lot out of this. Now, all powers possessed by any human being, no matter how exalted his position in evolution, or how sublime his spiritual power, or latent in all human beings, and can in time be developed and brought into action. Of course, there is no magic rule by which the enormous can instantly become wise or by which a brutal man can be at once transformed into a saint. It may require scores of incarcerations to accomplish a work so great, but when a man reaches the point of his evolution where he begins to comprehend the purpose of life and to evolve the will to put forth his energies in cooperation with nature, his rise to wisdom and power may be swift indeed. But this transition from the darkest of ignorance to spiritual illumination, from helplessness and the fall clutch of circumstances to power over nature must be brought about by his own efforts for it is a process of evolution by forcing the latent to become the active. 
Therefore, one must resolve to take oneself in hand and definite and systematic self-development. This right here brings me back to a gentleman named Nelson Mandela, where he spent, I believe, 27 years in prison as he was actually innocent of any crime. But when he emerged, he became the greatest leader of our time in that country. Nobody else can do the work for us. Certain moral qualities must be gained before there can be spiritual illumination and genuine wisdom and such qualities or virtues have to be evolved by the laws under which all growth occurs. It is just as impossible to acquire a moral quality by reading about its desirability as to evolve muscular strength by watching the performance of a group of athletes. To gain muscular strength, one must take part in the physical activities that produce it. He must live the athletic life. To win spiritual strength and supremacy, he must live the spiritual life. There is no other way. He must first learn what mental and moral qualities are essential and how to gain them, and then set earnestly about the work of acquiring them. This first thing is necessary to get a clear understanding of the fact that the physical body is not the self, but only a vehicle or an instrument through which the self is being manifested in the visible world. The body is as much your instrument as the hand is, or as your pen is. It is a thing which you the self use and a clear conception of this fact, a feeling that this is the fact, is the first step toward the absolute control of physical body and lays the foundation for success and conscious evolution. You are given a pen in life, my friends. Who's controlling that pen? That's something you need to ask yourself. Is God controlling that pen? Are you controlling that pen? Is your mom and dad, the judge and the victim in your mind, controlling that pen? Are you in the corner needing rescued? Think about it. When we feel that in managing the physical body, we are controlling something that is not ourself, we are fairly started on the right road. Now, there are three things that a person must possess to be successful in self-development. If he has not these three qualifications, he will make but little progress. But fortunately, any lack of quality can be evolved, and if one does not possess these three necessities, his work is to create them. These three things are an ardent desire, a burning desire, an iron will, and an alert intelligence. Why are these three qualifications essential to success and what purpose do they serve? Desire is nature's motor power, the propulsion force that pushes everything forward in its evolution. It is desire that stimulates to action. Desire drives the animal into the activities that evolve its 
physical body and sharpens it to intelligence. That's why in my other podcasts, I've said I always practice mind, body, and soul. When I'm doing something new, when I'm learning something new, those are the basis of my learning, my comprehension, and my evolution. Mind, body, soul. If it had no desire, it would lie inherent for association with its kind, impel it to action. And the result is the evolution of strength, skill, and intelligence in proportion to the intensity of its desires. To gratify these desires, it will accept battle, no matter how great many be the odds against it, and will unhesitatingly risk life itself in the combat. Desire not only induces the activity that develops physical strength and beauty, but also has its finer effects. Hunger compels the animal not only to seek food, but to pit its cunning against that of its prey. Driven forward by desire, it develops, among other qualities, strength, courage, patience, endurance, and intelligence. Desire plays the same role with man at his higher stage of evolution. It, excuse me, it stimulates him to action. Remember, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. And always, as his activity satisfies his original desire, a new one replaces the old and lures him on to renewed exertion. The average young man being his business career desires only a comfortable cottage, but when that is attained, he wants a mansion. He soon tires of the mansion and wants a palace, then he wants several, at the seaside, in the city, and on the mountains. At first, he is satisfied with a horse, then he demands an automobile, and finally, a steam yacht. He sets out as a youth to earn a livelihood and welcomes a small salary, but the desire for money pushes him into business for himself, and he works t tirelessly for a compense. He feels that a small fortune should satisfy anybody, but when he gets it, he wants to be a millionaire. If he succeeds in that, he then desires to become a billionaire. Whether the desire is for wealth or for fame or for power, the same result follows when the desire is greater and one takes its place and spurs the ambition one to still further exertion. He grasps the prize he believes to contain complete satisfaction, only to discover that while he was pursuing its desire had grown beyond it, and so the goal he would attain is always far ahead of him. Thus, are we tricked, apparently mocked by nature, until we awake to the fact that all these objects of desire, the fine remnant, the jewels, the palaces, the wealth, the power, are but vain and empty things, and that the real reward for all our efforts to secure them is not these objects at all, but the new powers we have evolved in getting them, powers that we did not 
before possess, and which we should not have evolved, but for nature's great propulsive force, desire. The man who accumulates a fortune by many years of persistent effort in organizing and developing a business enterprise by carefully planning and deep thinking may naturally enough look upon the fortune he will possess for a few years before it passes on to others as his reward. But the truth is that it is very transient and perishable and worthless thing compared to the new powers that were unconsciously evolved and getting it, powers that will be retained by the man and be brought into use in future incarnations. Desire then plays a most important role in human evolution. It awakens, stimulates, propels. What wind is to the ship what steam is to the locomotive, desire. Desire is to the human being. It has been written in a great book, Kill Out Desire, and elsewhere it is written, Resist not evil, we may find, and similar exalted pronouncements, truth that are very useful to disciples, but which might be confusing and misleading to the man of the world if he attempted to literally apply them. Perhaps the average mortal kill-out desire might be interpreted transmute desire. Without desire, man would be in a death-like and dangerous condition, and a condition in which further progress would be impossible. But by transmuting the lower desire into the higher, he moves steadily forward and upward without losing the motive power that urges him for forever forward, forever onward. To transmute desire, to continually replace the lower with the higher, really is killing desire out, but it is doing it by the slow and safe evolutionary process. As to crushing it suddenly, that is simply impossible, but substitution may work wonders. Suppose, for example, that a young man is a gambler, and his parents are much distressed about it. The common and foolish course is to lecture him on the sin of gambling, and to tearfully urge him to associate only with very proper young men, but the young gambler is not in the least interested in that sort of life which appears to him to be a kind of living death, and such entreaty does not move him. His parents would do better by looking more closely into the case. Why is he a gambler? He desires money. He seeks excitement. He wants to live in an atmosphere of intense life and activity. Very well. These desires are quite right in themselves. It is useless to try to crush them. It is nonsense to argue that he does not want these things. Clearly enough, he does want them, and that is precisely why he gambles. Then do not attempt the impossibility of killing the desire, but change the object of his desires. Say to him, so, no, say to him, you desire money and a life full of turbulence and excitement. Well, you can get all that in a better and legitimate way and have the respective friends by your side. 
You can go into politics. That is a field within the pale of the law. And in it, you can prove scope for all the energy and activity and, and intensity of life you long for with all the element of chance which you find so attractive. And when the young man has had his fling there and tires of it, then something else can be attempted. But to try to crush desire and curb the outrushing life is both foolish and impossible. We can only direct it. There are, of course, certain gross desires that must be gotten rid of by the most direct and least objectionable method. And when one really desires to be free from a given vice or moral weakness and sets earnestly and intelligently about it, his release is not so difficult as the complete tyranny of most vices would lead one to suppose. And his vices are addictions. Now we know all the different types of addictions out there and how easily humans get addicted to things because we are very vulnerable and some of us block out things that we're doing because it becomes habit which turns into addiction and continued bad habits but then again you could also direct those things like this book is saying into the two desires that funnel those things into becoming one percent a day better by not going to the smoke shack at work, you know, or not carrying cigarettes with you, or not entertaining going to the bar and drinking with your friends or partying, you know, finding the gym to replace those. There is a process by which any of us may be free if we will take the trouble to patiently put it into practice. This method will apply to any desire from which we wish to be released. For example, let us take the person who has settled desire for alcohol stimulants, but really wishes to be rid of it forever. Many people who are thus afflicted to the point where they occasionally become intoxicated feel when they recover their normal condition that no price would be too great to pay for freedom from this humiliating habit. As a rule, such a man tries to close his eyes to his shame and forget it, promising himself that he will no be stronger when the temptation comes again, but assails him. It is just this putting it aside, this casting it out of his mind, that perpe uh, perpetuates his weakness. He instinctively shrieks, excuse me, he per instinctively shrinks from dwelling upon the thought of whether he is drifting, so he puts the unpleasant subject aside altogether, and when the inner desire asserts itself again, he finds himself precisely as helpless as before. Now his certain method of escape from this tyranny of desire is to turn his mind resolutely to an examination of the whole question. Let him look the facts in the face, however humiliating they are, he should call his imagination to his assistance. It should be used to picture to himself his future if he does not succeed in breaking up the unfortunate slavery of the, de the desire nature. He should think of the fact that as he grows older, the situation grows worse. He should picture himself as helpless, repulsive so sort with feeble 
body, and weakening mind, and reflect upon the humiliation he must endure, the poverty he must face, and the physical and mental pain he must bear in the future if now fails to break the desire ties that bind him. This creates in him a feeling of repulsion toward the cause of it all, and if he continues to think daily upon the hideous picture of what he is slowly drifting towards, if he daily regards or reflects, it will, with a feeling of slight repulsion, then even a month or two, he will find that his desire for drink is slowly fading out. And I do believe that too, because, you know, you become like the five people that you hang around. So if you're hanging around five doctors, you're going to be the sixth doctor. If you're hanging around five lawyers, you're going to be the sixth lawyer. If you're hanging around five losers, you're going to be the sixth loser. And that's the truth. That's the way this works in life. This is as true of all desires that enslave us. The desire for alcoholic stimulants merely illustrates the principle involved. Any desire from which one wishes to be free may be escaped by the same method. By one who would free himself from the desire nature should not make the mistake of creating a feeling of intense hostility toward the thing he seeks to escape, for hatred is also a tie. He should merely reach a position of complete indifference. He should think of it not with settled hostility, but with slight repulsion, and if he does that daily, mentally dwelling upon the pain and humiliation it causes, he will find the ties loosening, the desire weakening. Desire is a force that may be beneficial or detrimental according to its use. As we may eradicate a desire, so may we create a desire. And that is the law of attraction as well, I believe. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. This has been a great read. I Hopefully you'll get out there and uh, check out self-development and the way to power. I found this to be one of the, uh, the greatest reads I've come across in a while, even though I only share great reads with you guys. Thank you guys for listening to me, and thank you for following me. Thank you for sharing me and taking parts in the polls that I put out there. And I'm sorry if you're not enjoying my reads or the things that I come across that I want to share with you. Please feel free to reach out to me, email me. Um, There are a lot of things that people go through that they don't even know they're going through. And um, we all have desires that we're trying to reach in our life, whether that be the desire to, you know, start a family, whether that be the desire to own a new home. You know, whatever, whether, whether that be the desire to go back to school to learn something new, um, whether it be the desire to start a new podcast, you know, it could be many different things, but we all have desires, we all have wants and needs, and we all need to be appreciated. And I think that all of our desires need to be understood that, you know, without desire, nothing in us makes sense, and many people cannot give sustained attention to desire or direct it for so long that they improve their overall well-being like you know the desire is there today and then tomorrow all of a sudden 
the great shiny desire thing that you were desiring yesterday is now tarnished in a new day of your mind destroying yourself and putting you down or corner, cornering you into negative self-talk or making up situations that, you know, a lot of people in the world are anxious. A lot of people in the world are nervous. And a lot of these things are caused by ADHD, ADD. Some of them are caused by depression. Some of them are caused by insomnia. We all are going through so many different things that, you know, had we used a little bit of love, a little bit of patience, a little bit of understanding with that person when things um, actually popped off between you that weren't supposed to or whatever it may be, you know, know that that person has a desire just like you and it's to be better than what they were yesterday, even though today may cause entanglements of mental stresses and terrible situations that you had no idea about because one moment you're at your greatest point in life and a week later everything seems very cloudy distraught undistributed um uncompartmentalized but thankfully in life we have the option and the choice to do something different so it's always easy to do the wrong thing and it's always hard to do the right thing and doing the right thing is teaching yourself self-discipline telling yourself no having the willpower to get up out of bed every day having the breath of life in you that your god gave you that your destiny is calling upon you that you know the two greatest dates are the day you were born and the day you realize the purpose you were born and why you were born. You know, don't be afraid to question your circumstances and don't be afraid to grow. Don't be afraid to let your desires run wild and free because anything you can imagine can actually be made into reality. And the life that you're living is your own restraints, your own binding of your own tongue, your own conformities of situations that you were brought up into that you can't break free from. Break the chains. Undo this ball and chain theory that you're never going to be free. Let go of the creative side. You know, let that person out. Paint the streets, paint the walls. You know, color yourself red, white, and blue, black and yellow, green and orange. Whatever you want to do that makes you feel your desires come to life. You need to desire something because if you're not desiring, you're just withering away. And like this book said, if you don't use your arm enough as it is attached to your body, if you don't use that arm, it's going to wither away and eventually be nothing. And the same goes for the human mind. The same goes for everyday occurrences. And in most situations, you know, it's 90% showing up and 10% effort. And I have learned that the hard way through life because I have been dealt situational hands that have been way out of my control. But for some reason, my God wanted me there at that time and wanted me to bear this cross. And that's what I have to do. And that's how I get up every day. And I planned that, you know what? I have so much energy. I love my life. I love my people. I love the people I conversate with because slowly my circle is becoming smaller and smaller and my desires are becoming more clear and more clearer. If you don't want me in your life, that's fine. Take the highway. I'm not chasing your love. I'm not begging you to love me. 
I know I'm lovable. I know I'm kind. I'm, I know I'm approachable. I know I've been all these things because this is who I was the day I took my first breath. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. And this has been Self-Development and the Way to Power, which I hope that you guys get out there and check this book out. L.W. Rogers did a great job. Until next time, this is the Only You Podcast.